Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live, hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith. Of truck drivers. 
and he is a past section chairman of the Transportation Lawyers Association and has also been a lecturer on various aspects of transportation laws for the American Bar Association's Labor and Employment Law Section, the Transportation Lawyers Association, the Transportation Claims Prevention Council, and the Freight Forwarders Council of America, and he is also co-author of the STAA Handbook. And he has represented truck drivers before the U.S. Department of Labor in more than 250 cases under the employee protection provisions of the Surface Transportation Assistance Act and is a member of the American Bar Association's Labor and Employment Law Section and the National Employment Lawyers Association. And he is presently the co-chair of the whistleblower section of the National Employment Lawyers Association. So without a doubt, one of the nation's top legal experts for truck drivers' rights. Attorney Paul Taylor of the Truckers Justice Center is our special guest this evening on Truth About Trucking Live, and we'll be taking your questions a little later in the show. So if you have a question for Mr. Taylor, our call-in number again is 347-826-9170. We just ask that you keep your questions in relation to the topic of the show, which is OSHA and the STAA. So, uh, Mr. Taylor, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you here. Thank you for having me, Alan. Um, you know, it, it, it might be easy enough to find an employment law attorney, but finding one with a trucking background is another matter. So you, you really have a feel for what these truckers are going through. Well, I, I hope so. I hope they don't hold it against me that I used to be a dispatcher. <laughs> well... Well, no, I, I think they'll be okay with that. I mean, they can, they'll can they be able to get some information and answers from you, so they'll be happy with that. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm happy to answer questions that they have tonight and hope to educate some of them, all your listeners, actually, on uh, their rights under the STAA's whistleblower sections. Yeah, I want to first begin by asking you to, to explain, uh, just from an attorney's perspective, because a lot of our listeners are uh, CDL students, new you know new people just coming into the industry, um, just what is the Service Transportation Assistance Act, and how how does it relate to a truck driver's employee rights? Okay. First of all, the STAA on the whole was a very broad piece of legislation passed in 1982, was signed into law by President Reagan. The whistleblower section, the employee protection provisions, is a small portion of that. The STAA, as a general piece of legislation, is the reason we had first 48-foot trailers and later 53s and uniform 80,000-pound roads on the national network. The employee protection provisions is a small piece of that legislation that says, in essence, a trucking company can't fire a trucking company, an employer cannot fire an employee because the employee has filed complaints about violations of DOT regulations, either with the employer or with the government, or because the driver refuses to drive in violation of a DOT regulation, or over a reasonable safety concern, or because the driver accurately records uh, his hours of service. That is what the STAA says. It says if the trucking company does that, the driver has the right to bring a claim with OSHA, and the driver has the right to get his job back, get back pay, as other damages, punitive damages, and attorney's fees, 
and what the law calls abatement of the violation. In other words, to have his work record purged, which has been construed to include eliminating the retaliatory information from his DAC report. So that's the STAA in summary, as to at least what the protections are. Okay, and yet we see, uh, I mean, we see this go, going on all the time. I mean, the, the emails I received from drivers when we posted this up on our blog is just question after question after question. And, uh, of course, we can, we can get into the DAC a little later because that's a big problem. But um, what if, uh, but there, there has to be, I mean, some of the documents you sent me and wanted to point out one aspect of this entire process that I found to be very critical for uh, drivers to understand, and that's really understanding how the system works. For example, um, you had told me that the uh, the driver m must give the motor carrier ch a chance to respond to whatever complaint the driver has before refusing to drive or whatever the case may be. Um, that might be a problem that a lot of drivers experience. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? I mean, they well, have to give the company a chance, right? Well, you have to give them notice as to what your basis is for refusing. Let, let, me give some, let, let me give an example. Okay. You can't just shut down. Let, let's say a driver is becoming sleepy, and he's going across Wyoming at 3 in the morning, and he just shuts down. And the employer comes in, the dispatcher comes in the next day and sees from the Qualcomm that this driver's been sitting. And the driver and the dispatcher fires the driver. Well, in that case, the employer would be able to claim, and probably successfully, that they didn't fire the driver because he refused to drive while he was impaired due to fatigue. They fired him because he shut down. So the, the carrier, part of proving causation is putting the carrier on notice as to the, to score the work-related refusal. So to a certain extent, you don't need to write a speech, but in this day and age of Qualcomm's, it's pretty easy to put the carrier on notice. If you're shutting down in Wyoming or wherever in the middle of the night because you become sleepy, you send a Qualcomm to the driver, or to, excuse me, to the dispatcher, and send a copy to safety. The more people you let know, the better. Uh, hey, Tom, this is George. I'm shutting down my truck in Wyoming, I've been having a hard time staying awake. If I continue to drive, I'm going to present a safety hazard and may fall asleep at the wheel. I've set my alarm clock for eight hours from now or 10 hours or whatever, and uh, we'll call when I go back on duty. I mean, the, the, real thing, the, the real factor that helps prove a case is documentation. So uh, that's what you would do. Other situations, let's say bad weather. If you say, I'm booking off because of the weather, well, that, a court might find, a judge from the Department of Labor, and we can talk about the procedure later, the judge might find, well, that's inadequate notice. You say, hey, I'm driving in the middle of Iowa. You put on the Qualcomm. I'm encountering black ice. I'm pulling into the I-80 truck stop at uh, Walcott, and I'm shutting down until it becomes safe to drive. Driver pulls into the truck stop. Not only that, he makes sure that he goes in and talks to other drivers you know, who confirm this. I mean, building a case involves showing to the employer that you, make a, you made a reasoned 
decision under the circumstances. And that's what the call comes for. Okay, and, of course, and a, tape, a, t- a tape recorder always helps with legal. Just must caution your listeners that in most states to record a, secretly record a part of a conversation that you're part of is legal, but in some states it's not. So they should really check that out before they would record. So, I mean, this is all part of good documentation. Right. I, I understand that we'll be uh, speaking largely in general terms because every case is different. Yes. Uh, now, you had said, uh, as far as a Qualcomm, so, I mean, obviously uh, sna- taking a digital snapshot photo of that, I mean, that's totally legal. I mean, a lot of them do that. Uh, well, and the, and the other thing is Qualcomm does not retain those records. The carrier can control how quickly Qualcomm uh, records are disposed of. I mean, I know of one carrier uh in the Sioux City area, where that'll go nameless, but some people might be able to guess who basically has, at least in the last case I had against them, had the Qualcomm set up to, to dump the records in about 72 hours. But but that's unusual. But but you can certainly you can certainly, you know, the, you know, this day and age, again, we've got digital cameras, cameras on cell phones. You can get some real good clear shots. There's other things that drivers do. We, we know that drivers are pressured constantly into breaking hours of service. In my opinion, I think in large measure, carriers pay lip service to the hours of service. You know, they don't want the driver running three logbooks, but you know, if he's got 45 miles to go and he's out of hours, they want him to get it done. That's trucking's dirty little secret. So um, you know, if you've got an hours problem or a fatigue problem, there's phone calls can be made to DOT. I've had situations where I've had drivers who have called me and said that they were being dispatched in violation of hours of service and they would be running out. So, you know, we've got it on the Internet and looked up the number for DOT, called the scale, and the driver reports and shows the individual at the scale, the, the, the officer, the, the, the Qualcomm message saying get the load there or do what it takes to get it there and take your break later. And... Uh, there you have additional documentation, you have an additional witness. So it's just, it, it, it's part of thinking and planning. And the best case, the best situation for the driver is not to have a case. It's to document and at least deter that illegal firing or that retaliation on, on the DAC report through you know, obeying the regulations and thoroughly documenting them. One of the things that frustrates me as an attorney is I end up with a lot of cases involving hours of service where a driver will you know, turn down a dispatch because it violates hours of service, but if we go back through you know, the month prior, the driver's got rampant falsification of his logbook. So the other thing is in bringing these cases in large measure, it means being pure yourself. Judges don't understand that trucking generally has grown to accept logbook falsification, unfortunately. And so trying to explain to a, a judge in, in a court in one of these cases that, well, every driver does it or almost every, every driver does it, doesn't really wash with the court. So, you know, you want to be, when you present a case, you want to be likable, you want to be pure to the extent you can be. I mean, everybody has a work record. We know that if you work anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, well, as far as documentation, um uh, one of our listeners in the chat room is asking, well, 
how about keeping a diary? I mean, I mean, would something like that hold sure. up? It would. Sure, absolutely. Now, the other side's going to get a hold of it. In, in, in a legal proceeding, the other side will be able to get a hold of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you want to be a little careful about what you, what you put in there. Um, the other thing is a handheld tape recorder simply to dictate notes, you know, um, things that, that you observe along the way. A diary is very good. You know, talk to Joe, the dispatcher. He told me to get the load there even if I had to break hours of service and I could take my break there e- later. You know, part of the problem, the other thing we have in, in trucking is sometimes, well, first of all, in the legal process, first of all, cases can go on for a long time. You may not be to trial for a year and a half, which is one of the real unfortunate things wow. we probably, probably need to talk about. But drivers forget where they were. Well, did I talk to the dispatcher from Tucum Carrier or did I talk to him from Texarkana at the petrol? So right. those, are, those are at least things that... That's, that's a very good idea, to keep the diary is, is, is excellent. You know, don't write a speech. The other thing, write legibly. That, that is actually one of my, my pet peeves in, in a court case. We usually use, even if it's not an hours of service case, we try to use the logbook at least as a guide to things that happen chronologically. And if you can't read them, you know, that gets fairly frustrating to a judge and, of course, to oh, the yeah. attorney. Well, let me ask you, because I know one big problem is um... – I mean, sometimes the driver is just set in a situation where um, it's, it's just pretty much his word against theirs. I mean, I'll give you a great example. It happens all the time is when a driver does everything right, he gives he gives a two-weeks notice, uh, he asks his dispatch, where do you want me to drop off the truck, and they send him to some little drop yard out in the middle of nowhere. And so, I mean, there's no witnesses. He's the only one at the yard. He drops it off at 3 in the morning. He he calls his dispatcher, you know, hey, the the truck's in the yard, you know, and, you know, everything's peachy when he leaves. And then he ends up with a, you know, abandoned truck on his deck or something. Um, I mean, there's no witnesses. Uh, I mean, what about a situation like that? Well, in the con- I've dealt with abandonments in the context of the STAA. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, the always smart thing, and I'm just talking about, abandonments in general is to avoid them at all costs because you know that that in today's day and age probably is as bad as a positive controlled substance or alcohol test so i I tell drivers take whatever it takes to get the truck returned you know if grandma's sick and you got to get home take the truck back to salt lake city if you're driving for uh, england or if you're driving for prime get it to springfield or you know, make sure you document that on the Qualcomm. What you know, if they if you can take it to a drop yard in West Memphis or wherever they're going, get that on the Qualcomm. And that okay, so I guess just get it on a Qualcomm and get a snapshot and uh, and do it that way. Because yep. uh, I mean, but then there's a lot of smaller companies, uh, you know, that don't have Qualcomm. It's, do they still operate through the landline? And um, I mean, he has done. They have done everything right. He just doesn't have any you know, anybody to to back up, you know, the proof that he did drop it off. But, um, I mean, I guess that's where your your uh, legal expertise comes in. Well, if you're talking dropping it off at the home terminal or where they say, I mean, that that's an right. issue of, of, I mean, typically a company, in my experience, isn't going to say just, you know, drop it off at the truck stop near your house and we'll fly a driver to come pick it up. They normally like- want it. I mean, like a drop yard out in the middle of nowhere. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, then the, the couple of things you can do, um, I, I've had drivers, I've given this advice, is to have the driver, you know, make the call from a truck stop and recruit a driver and get his name, address, phone numbers, email, whatever it takes. If you don't have a tape recorder or if it's in one of those states where you can't secretly record the other members, uh, other parties to conversations of which you're part, would be to get another driver on the line, you know, uh, at least to listen in and say, okay, you sure you want this dropped at wherever? That would be very important. I can think of one particular situation, at least in the context of STAA, where, well, several actually, where we've had abandonments put on DAC reports. I've had carriers uh, claim abandonment of a vehicle on a DAC report where a driver simply wouldn't drive the truck because it didn't comply with DOT regulations or was otherwise unsafe. So I've seen those. I had a, another situation recently where a driver drove for a carrier out of southern Minnesota. And um, I actually don't get that many cases in Minnesota, even though that's where I'm at. But the driver went through his home to Salt Lake and ended up having uh, what he thought was a heart attack and was hospitalized in the emergency room and uh, called in and said he couldn't drive because he was having this, he thought he was having a heart attack and was being taken by ambulance to the emergency room. And um, the uh, carrier came and got the truck and said it was an abandonment, which it clearly wasn't. We're litigating the case now. But in that case, my client had a, his girlfriend with him who is now an ex-girlfriend but is friendly and is prepared to testify and has, in fact, given us a statement that he called in and from the hospital and said he couldn't, couldn't drive, that he was too ill and was going to the emergency room. So, I mean, that's at least one situation. He had a witness who saw him call. Yeah, yeah, he had a plus on his side. And, and uh, Donna, you're hanging on the line with us, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Oh, well, you can jump in any time. You had something you wanted to ask, right? Well, I have a couple of um, a couple of things I wanted to say. The first thing is, many times, uh, if a driver will refuse uh, to do one of these illegal, either you know, HOS or faulty equipment, you know, they'll they'll say, hey, listen, you know, this isn't right. I don't want to drive it. I don't feel safe. And you know, they'll say, well, go ahead anyway. Well, <clears throat> if they don't and they're fired later, there's kind of a gray area where they'll either be um, starved out, uh, that kind of retaliation, uh, or, you know, dismissed for some other, you know, made-up kind of excuse when, in fact, it really is because of uh, refusing to do something illegal. Now, I would think that would be pretty difficult uh to to prove right it can be um the the time the, the courts have held at least the department of labor's judges and then there's a board that serves like an appeals court for the department of labor and all this is done through the department of labor not dot and mm -hmm. they have said that part you can prove a case solely can prove, doesn't always prove, but you can prove a case solely on suspicious timing. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. So that's part of it. So you're right. The further out you get from the protected complaint or the protect, legally protected work refusal and what the 
courts call adverse employment action, the action of retaliation, that the tougher it is to prove. It's not impossible. I'll, I'll talk about, A, the timing issue first, and then second, the, the starving out. Um, the, the, the timing issue is, is tougher, but usually, the, the funny thing is, in, in this business, lots of people put things in files. Now, there are unscrupulous people who will destroy things, but people put things in files. And there are records in, for example, I, I suppose that Alan probably doesn't want me to mention the name of any, any carriers, but I had a case recently where we were successful in winning where a driver was fired for refusing to drive through Donner Pass in bad weather. And um, in that case, the carrier, a very large carrier, uh, documented that basically put in what they called a, I think it was a service failure, some sort of write-up that said that this person was, uh, you know, shut down due to bad weather, but other trucks pushed through, and the and the dispatcher put on the Qualcomm says, "What are you doing? You know, chain up and go. You could have been across the country twice by now." I mean, uh -huh. that's part of proving it. But you're right, carrier employers make up reasons. I mean, it does it does happen. The one advantage we have under the STAA is that the proof is easier than under most, uh, most employment uh, statutes. Most employment laws, for example, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, you have to prove your case by what, what's called the preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not. And you have to prove directly that your disability or your complaint of race discrimination or whatever was uh, what caused your discharge or the retaliation. Under the STAA, under the law as it was amended in 2007 and signed into law by former President Bush, all we have to prove is that the protected complaint or the protected work refusal was a motivating factor in the firing. And the employer or former employer to escape liability has to prove by what the law calls clear and convincing evidence that it still would have fired this person. So, you know, part, part of dealing with those suspicious timing claims is not giving the employer another reason to get rid of you. You know, if you, if you had this protected work refusal because of hours of service you know, last August, and here we are today and you're getting into it with the dispatcher and calling him a dirty SOB or getting into it with a dock foreman, or, or simply late for work for whatever reason, then it makes it more difficult. So, so one of the things always is to don't give the employer a reason to fire you. Um, would you like me to deal with the starving out issue and how we sure. would deal with that? Okay, sure. and, and, and that is a real problem. There, you know, a good, you know, a, an employer that's really smart will find a way to get rid of you and make it stick. I'm, I'm not here to paint a rosy picture for everybody, but you know, employers make mistakes too. Starving someone out can be proven by simply showing the, um, you know, the payroll records. I mean, we go, we have, I have tried, I don't like to try cases that way because they're tougher, but you go in and you look at, okay, this is what, you know, Sue Jones, driver Sue Jones was making before her protected work refusal. This is what she's making now. This is what she makes compared to other drivers. So that's part of, 
part of proving a case. It's using those financial those financial records. And in fact, I brought cases against trucking companies while the driver was still working there, based on retaliation, either a suspension or uh, you know a demotion from say a dedicated fleet to a national fleet, things of that nature. I mean, I I've, haven't hesitated to bring them. Uh, while the driver is still working there, and have done the starving out issues. I'm not. Sh I actually, I did take one issue where a driver was starved um, to trial and was successful, but it was all there was also a later firing. So, I, and, and that is a real problem. They can make it difficult for you. Oh yeah, yeah, they can. <laughs> happens happens quite a bit. So, okay, if you're just joining us, we're talking with our special guest attorney Paul Taylor of Taylor and Associates with the Truckers Justice Center. And their website is truckersjusticecenter.com. And our show this evening is sponsored in part by rigquote.com. And rigquote.com is a name you want to remember because they work with over 50 of the top insurance carriers across the U.S. to bring you the best insurance coverage at the best price. If you're an owner-operator or a small fleet owner or freight broker or freight forwarder, whatever your trucking business entails, rigquote.com can save you money and in today's economy we all know how important that is and you can get a price quote in five minutes or less right from their website rigquote.com or give them a call toll free at 1-888-701-1795 that's rigquote.com trucking insurance simplified and you know paul i was um i was just listening to you going through that and uh, I've received a lot of emails from drivers um, after we posted this show up on our blog, and I was surprised at the number of drivers who believed that they could win the case by representing themselves because they felt they had sufficient proof and evidence. Um, I don't know. To me, that's prob probably not a good idea. I mean, have have you ran into where uh, drivers have wanted to represent themselves or felt that they could, or what's your thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I run into drivers who decide they can do a better job than me um, doing this. Uh, so um, those are usually the ones I don't really want as clients when they, uh, you know, when you they they think they know more about the law than the attorney. Um, I I kind of have I have a view that I don't tell drivers, you know, how to drive a truck. They shouldn't tell me how to practice law. Uh, that being said, when I when I deal with a client, you know we do we do things as a team. Uh, with me, there's not the learning curve that there might be with another attorney who doesn't work in the transportation sphere, or hasn't worked you know in operations. But I work with the drivers as as a as a team. We have a, a pair you know one paralegal is assigned to every case to work with me, and then we work with the driver. And you know sometimes they're a lot smarter than me about how parts work, or they always are smarter than me about how things work, you know, on a truck and things of that nature. But when you right. get into a when do when you get into a courtroom, it's a whole different sphere. Um, I've seen drivers win on their own. Uh, you know, I read the cases, and somehow they haven't found me, or they think that you know I'm going to charge them an arm and a leg when I work on a contingency and. All of a sudden, they're afraid to deal with lawyers, or some people don't trust lawyers. And, and to a certain extent, there's good reasons why some people don't trust lawyers. You know, I, I like to think of myself more as working in the trucking industry than working in the legal profession. That, that being said, the process, at least once you get past OSHA, now these claims are filed with OSHA. 
part of the Department of Labor. They get an investigator, and I'm going to be cynical about this, 99% of the time you lose with OSHA. 99% of the time I lose with OSHA. But you have an option then to request a hearing with a, a judge, an administrative law judge from the Department of Labor. Now it proceeds like a real lawyer. And you're subject to rules of evidence, hearsay. You, know, you, might, you might want to get documents from a third party, like a broker. Well, to do that, you may need a subpoena. So how do you go about the process of getting a subpoena? You know, how do you navigate the processes? How do you properly identify a document at trial so that you lay the foundation to make it admissible? There are, there, the rules of evidence, while they're complicated, are there so that only fair evidence that reflects upon you know, decisions that were made and reflects upon conclusions to be drawn are offered into evidence. I'll give you an example. I, I have, for some reason, this year, we have gotten a lot of cases where drivers have refused to drive in bad weather. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, just probably seven or eight in the last six months, which is a high volume. Now, there's things you do to prove bad weather, other than looking out your window. Now, newspaper articles may or may not be admissible into a court of law to prove that the weather was so severe that it was unsafe to drive, even with reducing speed. Mm -hmm. Now, some judges might let in a newspaper article. Others won't. Now, how do you get the weather information? There's a way to go to the National Weather Service's website. But even printing that, just simply offering that into evidence may not be enough if the other side doesn't stipulate to it coming in because they, you know, technically a court can require that those records be certified as genuine so that people can be assured that somebody hasn't just created those, created phonies. So navigating the legal process is not always that easy. You know, Department of Labor is a little easier than, you know, the legal process through, you know, a, a regular court because some, judge, some judges will go out of their way for people who represent themselves. But this is, a, this is kind of a very tricky and unique area of law. And you say the wrong thing in court, you know, wow. it may not be enough. Let me, let me give you an example. Okay. If you ask drivers if it's legal to drive while tired, most of them will say no. It's not legal to drive while tired. Well, that's not the law. The regulation says you can't drive when you're so impaired that it's unsafe, not tired. Or, right. the, you know, people say, is it, is, it, is, it, you know, is it legal to drive while ill? Well, sure it is. Generally, yeah. it has to rise to the level of being unsafe. So, you, want, you know, when you're in court, you don't want to say, well, why would you refuse? Well, because I was to drive, because I was ill. Well, does that mean you have the sniffles? Or does it mean you had a fever and shakes and your eyes were water and you couldn't, you know, you know, you didn't think you could keep it between the lines going down the highway? You know, it's part of having a case where you are, the driver, sufficiently articulating for the court his basis for refusing to drive, at least enough to rise to the level of that being a protected work refusal. Okay. All right. Well, I brought that up because I know um – uh, I mean, you work uh, Truckers Justice Center. Uh, you work on many issues, not just refusing to drive, but problems with the DAC and commercial truck lease disputes and drug alcohol testing and 
you mentioned that uh, you work on a contingency fee basis. So because I know a lot of drivers will first think about when faced with one of these rights violations is how can I afford an attorney? But uh, I, I wanted to make sure they hear that you do work on a contingency fee, so it 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 is possible. Yeah, usually the the, the straight up DAC report cleanups that don't involve an SDA case will we normally charge a flat fee for it. By the way, my website is truckersjustice.com, not truckersjusticecenter.com, just so Oh, how people did I get flat. Truckers Justice Center? From my email, which because that's the name oh, of the firm. Okay, give your website again? Truckersjustice.com. Okay. Man, I've got truckers. I've got that written all over the place here. That's okay. All right. Truckersjustice.com. All right. Hey, Donna, are you still there? I'm here. Hey, you had a good question, and uh, see if Paul can uh, can cover that, but um, if it's under the STAA and everything, but this, this bullying thing. Uh, well, yeah, um, it, it's become bullying, first of all, uh, it, it's, an, it's a worldwide problem right now. Um, do you agree with that, uh, Paul? Right, right now, it, it's just almost, and I think it's because of the recession, I'm not sure, uh, that there's more power and intimidation going on uh, amongst employers with employees. I, I really don't understand why it's, it's becoming so uh, popular. But I myself would consider that intimidation, retaliation, uh, threats, uh, I, would, I would put that in the category of bullying. And I, I know drivers don't like to put themselves in that category because it, it creates, uh, they think of themselves as um, that would mean they're weak or, you know, nobody can bully me. But in essence, this really is. Uh, a form of bullying anytime there is retaliation, intimidation, or threats going on. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yes, uh, I, I would. However, the courts in employment law cases of all types have held that, you know, trivial slights are not something you can sue over. So there, there is kind of a question of what constitutes retaliation versus a trivial slight. Um, but the U.S. Supreme Court about two terms ago in a 9-0 uh, uh, decision in a case called uh, White versus Burlington Northern Santa Fe basically broadened the scope of uh, what you can sue over by saying it doesn't have to be an adverse employment action, which means a firing, a transfer, a demotion, sacking, a pay, but merely something that is materially adverse, something that would uh, stop a reasonable person from filing a complaint about violation of the law. So, I mean, we've had some bright spots uh, from the Supreme Court and some employment law decisions over the last couple of years. And the Department of Labor has applied that decision to the STAA. But as, as to more bullying, I don't know. You know, I see the bad aspects of trucking. You know, I don't see the good good things. People call me when they've got a problem. They don't, don't call me when things are going well. So I don't really know. I have seen, surprisingly, an increase in, in my business over the last year. I think more people are getting fired. Um, I think to a certain extent the bullying may simply come from the fact that 
employers are willing to lean on people because they know people will lead, uh, do their jobs. Let, let, let me tell you one thing that I've seen a lot of bullying on, and this is getting a little bit off the STAA. We have lots of undocumented workers in this country. I know it's a big controversy. But if you are an undocumented worker working in an unsafe work environment, the last thing you're going to do is call OSHA or the health department on your employer. You know, so I mean, we've kind of gotten in the situation where, where you can certainly bully because people need jobs, and certainly in the case of undocumented workers, they don't want to end up getting reported to the INS and shipped back over the border. But I don't know that I personally have seen more bullying. Um, just simply an increase of business. I don't know that I've seen well, I guess I guess really my point in what I was saying is that this type of behavior uh, of retaliation, intimidation, and threats by the uh, employer, uh, the carrier, the dispatch, to me that is bullying, whether it falls in a, into a legal category or not. I'm just associating this this uh, phenomenon of uh, bullying to mean that. Well, it does. You know, I, I, it, it, there, there's a lot more leaning on for production. I, I, you know, I'm seeing drivers told that when it's. I have a case now involving a driver who was fired for excessive idling um, by a carrier who told him not to idle. He, he, he was sick and it was 20 degrees above zero. You know, right. I mean, it's below, below freezing. I mean, we're seeing that, but you have tight margins, you know. Uh, another driver w recently contacted me a couple of days ago, and he didn't have an air conditioner. And he was in Laredo. It was 100-plus degrees. And he was uh, fired because uh, he refused to drive without the air conditioner working. Now, an air conditioner isn't required by DOT regulations, but it, it is a requirement that you not drive while you're in, impaired due to illness or fatigue, which certainly you can't get much sleep under the circumstances of not having a, an air conditioner working in a truck in, in Laredo in the middle of July. So, yeah, I mean, I mean sure, I, I would agree with you that there is that those types of things are, are bullying. Yeah, well, see, I was, <clears throat> I've been really involved uh, reading the International Educational Coalition on Workplace Bullying, which is actually a, a Facebook uh, page that Beverly Peterson of um, you or there ought to be a law and bully in workplace.wordpress.com. She's creating a documentary, and one of the parts of that documentary is uh, going to be on um, in the transportation uh, uh, area. So uh, I, I've been reading more on that and, and kind of going on her blog, and, and I don't think people have really connected the dots that this type of behavior is, is in fact, you know, a form, in my mind, of bullying. And, and I think drivers are very reluctant to uh, use that word because they feel perhaps weak or or whatever the you know the mental stigma that, that comes in their mind uh is but in my mind this is definitely part of what's going on uh right now that's becoming more and more widespread but the only difference is this has been going on for years within the trucking industry and i'm just 
associating these two, uh, this terminology uh, with what's going on. So I know in a legal court, you know, it, it, it might fall into a different category. However, speaking about what's going on, I, I, I really believe it, it is a form of bullying. I mean, that's just how I see it. Well, that, the, the, the fact that there was bullying would normally be admissible in court if, if there was, you know, ultimately uh, a firing or a retaliatory transfer or bad information put on a DAC report, retaliatory information put on a DAC report. I mean, so the remarks, the pressure, things of that nature um, certainly would, are, are things that are, what the court would say, are probative of whether or not a firing was motivated by a uh, protected work refusal or protected safety complaint. One more thing that I, Alan, I, I just want to make clear to drivers, because uh -huh. I don't want to forget this, is that this law, the STA, defines employees to include owner-operators. So if you're, you, you've been retaliated against and you're a leased contractor or owner-operator, and you've been fired because you wouldn't break hours of service, you are an employee for purposes of the STA and are legally protected. Okay. Well, that, that is definitely good to know. Uh, we'll, we'll continue our conversation with Attorney Paul Taylor of the uh, Truckers Justice Center at truckersjustice.com, and we'll, uh, we'll take a few of your phone calls, too, here. But first I have to tell you about LoneMountainTruck.com. Lone Mountain Truck Leasing has offices in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and Tifton, Georgia. And with a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, they offer the best lease purchase plan in the industry. And I spent 14 years as an owner-operator, so I know a great lease deal when I see one. You just make the monthly payment, and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. And why is LoneMountainTruck.com the best lease deal in the industry? For one... There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. They have an excellent inventory of well-maintained and dependable trucks to choose from and are so committed to customer service that they even encourage you to take the truck of your choice and have it inspected for your own peace of mind. And don't let credit problems hold you back. Although credit is one factor, Loan Mountain Truck Leasing is more interested in your work history, driving experience, and the motor carrier you'll be driving for. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way and do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call at 1-866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Our guest attorney, Paul Taylor of the Truckers Justice Center out of Burnsville, Minnesota. Their website, I got it right, truckersjustice.com. So, uh, Paul, I'd like to take a few questions from our callers. Sure. Uh, let me grab up here. I know who this is. This is uh, Trucker Desiree. Hey, Desiree, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Hello, Mr. Taylor. Hi, hi. My, my dad's name is Mr. Taylor. My name is Paul. Oh. Hi, Paul. Hi. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, yeah, um, uh, when I was listening to you guys talking, and, and a lot of this is like connecting the dots for um, the drivers. Um, when you were talking about documentation, I wanted to bring up something. 
a lot of the smartphones have email programs, and this was something for me in my situation that really, really was my ace in the hole, and that was that I had emailed um, my backup, you know, and, it, you know, of course, the Qualcomm, you know, and there are situations where I, I do not feel safe. There are certain magic words that you can put on the Qualcomm, like I do not feel safe or I am going to be violating my HOS. But like you said, with the Qualcomm, that's not forever. But I was actually documenting things from email on my PDA. And I made sure that I had the chain of commands emails, and I kept those emails, and in fact, I still have them. They have not been made public, but you know, as my story unraveled, there's lots of people who have seen them, and um, it would be very poor judgment for those, you know, to publicly connect the dots of my story for everybody. So drivers should learn how to use their email program, and they should be very careful about the words that they choose because they do go flying off the handle and they, they make some poor choices of words. That is a written document, so you don't want to go threatening people or uh, making accusations or saying, I'm going to you know, sue you or I'm going to do this. Just state the facts if you feel unsafe or whatever because what I found is the dispatchers, they, when they want you to do something that is wrong, they want to talk to you on the phone. Absolutely. And, and, they, they, and so the first thing you do is you learn is turn your phone off. <laughs> as soon as the phone rings from the trucking company, that means they're trying to get you to do something they don't want on that Qualcomm. And so I made it a practice of starting to follow up the conversation if I had one with that email and I kept it in a folder and I still keep them. That's your paper trail. Um, and I, when you're bringing up the idling thing, I just talked to somebody, he was getting charged, you know, we're, we get charged at my company to idle and he presented uh, my company with hundreds of dollars in motel receipts. They didn't even want to see them. They don't want to touch them but they ended up getting him a truck with an APU. I mean, if you document and you cover and, and stuff, you can kind of start fighting this back, but it is like a sort of a system of abuse that's going on um, with these organizations, and that's why the documentary filmmaker kind of got interested in the trucking industry when she did the raw, um, the uh, no job is worth workplace bullying thing um, on trucking. And... Some of that footage has not been made public, and the, some of the drivers I notice uh, when they, when I put links on the Real Women Truckers fan page, they start, you know, they go, oh, bullying, you know, oh, if somebody says this, I'll just punch them in the face. Well, that's number one. That's part of the problem to say that. But number two, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the whole system of provoking drivers, of um, doing these retaliatory things to them. And it does affect them psychologically when they are being um, um, kind of provoked all of the time. They begin getting frustrated. They get burned out. They start getting paranoid. Um, it, and it does start to affect their, their mental and physical health when you start doing this stuff to them. So um, we have been trying to connect the dots and other organizations on Twitter 
uh, like uh, this do right at work. She she really actually focuses on big organizations like the trucking industry. She hasn't focused on that, but she has been watching it. Um, and this other one called eBoss Watch, where they actually have people that were in the trucking industry have been very interested in what's going on here with these shows and these cases as we've brought them up. One of your cases, um, Paul, um, that you brought up earlier with the person crossing Donner Pass, that got a big, huge response because um, people were just like totally fascinated with that case that somebody would be asked to cross that Donner Pass in bad weather and be treated that way. So it well, was. Yeah. Well, we had some super drivers saying that uh, they, she could have made it, but you know that the the, the, the real question. You know, I don't want to dwell too much on on specifics of cases. Your bullying point is well taken. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, in today's society, people have lost civility. I like to tell lawyers when I first introduce myself to them when I have a case and they're on the other side is that I like to practice law that with the principle that I have adversaries, not enemies. And, and if any driver or any client who I'm representing you know, wants me to be mean to the other side or abusive or, you know, um, you know I can be aggressive without being abusive. Uh, you know, I won't do it. I, I want to be civil. That being said, you know, and people should be civil in the workplace. That being said, it is pretty solid under the law that an employer has the right to be a jerk. As long as that employer is not being a jerk for an impermissible purpose. You know, I have lots of people, you know, I, I don't do just trucking, but that's my primarily fo primary focus. I get people call me and say, well, I was wrongfully discharged. I say, well, what happened? Well, I got fired and, and you know, uh, what reason were you given? Well, my job performance. I said, well, okay. Well, I performed well. Why do you really think the boss got rid of you? Well, he didn't like me. I said, why didn't you like me? Well, I don't know. He just didn't like me. Well, that's not a reason to bring a lawsuit. In, in, in almost every jurisdiction in this country, we have at-will employment. And the only thing that, which means a, a employer can fire you or treat you like dirt for a good reason, for a bad reason, no reason at all. The only exceptions to at-will employment are either A, an employment contract, or B, a legally impermissible reason like race, religion, whistleblowing, refusing to drive in violation of a DOT regulation, age if you're over 40, qualified disability, use of family medical leave act leave. But as a general rule, bullying is legal in the workplace so long as it's not done for an illegal purpose. Wow, okay. I, um, I'm getting a lot of uh, uh, questions blasted at me here into the uh, private messages. I'm just going to ask you this one question. I don't know if this I, – I promised this guy I'd ask you, but he's wanting to know if um, – does a company – does a trucking company have to provide the driver with copies of the electro of uh, the electronic logs if they request them? Do they have to? You know, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, technically, the driver is supposed to retain the logs in his possession. So, if the driver is unable to have them in his possession, I would think that he would at least within that the. Uh, the eight-day period required by the regulations. But beyond that, I don't think they have to give that to the driver. 
certainly we can get them through a legal proceeding if we're suing them for other other reasons. Right. I don't think right. I don't think if you're saying I need my logbook from four months ago or my electronic log, I don't think the driver has a, a right to that. I have a question. Okay. You stated on Facebook, Paul, that um, they should be the whistleblower, not to have a company, you know, be suspicious that they were the one, but have them state that yes, they are. Uh, could you could you um, expand on that? And yeah, I, 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 sure. I think that was something that I posted yesterday. And I've given a lot of I've given a lot of seminars on the STA, mostly the Teamster groups. They constitute maybe about 10% of my drivers, but because they're organized, I can go into Teamster organizations and give a seminar. And I have tips for whistleblowing. And I always tell people, make sure the employer knows you're the whistleblower. There's a reason for that. If you called DOT on your employer, and they knew it was you, or at least suspected it was you, you're even you know, you're protected even if they suspect you, okay? But they're going to say, or often they would say, well, we didn't fire George because he called DOT. We didn't even know George called DOT. George was late for work. So part of letting them know you're the whistleblower is at least eliminating one of the defenses that the employer would, would have. I can tell you, if you're, if you're going to blow the whistle, if you're going to call DOT, broadcast it to the company. I'd send a Qualcomm saying, I'm calling DOT on you, or I just called DOT on you, or I just took your truck to a scale. Actually, I'm working on a brief tonight that's due tomorrow where the company had drivers called DOT on uh, their employer because um, they had a severe transmission fluid leak and there was a, a U-joint problem. and. You know, it was leaking six pints, six pints every 200 miles of, of uh, transmission fluid. But wow. they called DOT and let the employer know it. And you put it on the Qualcomm, you call them and tell them you did it because you're eliminating one of their defenses saying, we had no knowledge of the protected activity. I mean, nobody can, you can't, you, it, it's impossible for somebody to, to discipline you for a protected work refusal or a protected safety complaint if they didn't know you're the one who did it or if they didn't know of the activity, couldn't possibly motivate it. So that's why I tell people, is, you know, let them know, and say, you know, if you're writing to FMCSA, you're working for an outlaw company that's requiring you to uh, severely violate hours of service and you want to have a compliance review done by FMCSA and you send the letter, I say to heck with the anonymity or, or to heck with with you know, sending it to FMCSA and asking them not to tell the employer. You not only mail that complaint to FMCSA, you send a copy to the president of the company and the HR director and the safety manager. Send it by fax, print off a fax confirmation sheet. There's your proof that you filed the complaint and that they had knowledge of it. I see. I never thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um. Okay. I've learned through, I've learned through the school of hard knocks, just like your uh, your drivers have. So. Oh, I'm sure you have. Um, hey, patches, I, I see you on the line there. Go ahead, you're on the air. I uh, I got a question here. Okay. A driver is back in taking his 10 hour break, and his company keeps calling him on Qualcomm and disturbing his uh, rest cycle, and then they. Uh, come up and say, uh, we're going to have to let you go because you're not responding to our Qualcomm. What about uh, a situation like that? 
I would say that, um, well, for, first of all, part, part of a protected work refusal, I'm probably going to give you an answer you don't like. Part of a protected work refusal is to proving that you would have had an actual violation. Also, to, win, to prevail under this law, you have to prove you made a complaint. If they continually interrupt you on the Qualcomm, it's not a violation to answer the Qualcomm. All it means is you restart your 10-hour break again. Now, the, the FMCSA, in another life, several years ago, probably 10 years ago, issued a uh, regulatory guidance, which you can find at fmcsa.gov, where they have the regulations and then they have the guidances, that said that short phone calls that momentarily interrupt a driver's rest period are, are not sufficient to break what was then the eight-hour break. Okay? So if they send you one and you respond and say, I'm on my rest break, I'm not, you know, I, I, you know, I'm off duty. I will not be responding. You know, you, it probably is sufficient that that you don't have to restart your 10-hour break. So, uh, you know, what I would do is if they keep persistently calling you or sending you a Qualcomm, is I'd keep restarting your 10-hour break. And next thing you know, in the morning when they go to dispatch you, you're going to say, I didn't have 10 hours off duty, uninterrupted as required by the regulations. I had three hours here, two hours there, five hours there. You kept sending me the Qualcomms and waking me up. And I responded each and every time that I was on my break. And I, I think at some point you do that, then, then at that point you've set the, yourself up to uh, be protected for a refusing to drive in violation of HOS. But if they simply, fight, they can simply legally fire you for not responding. You know, I mean, that's simply not a protected activity that you're doing by refusing to respond to the Qualcomm or a phone call from dispatch. But keep restarting your 10, after, you know, if you get three or four of these Qualcomms that you have to respond to. But I wouldn't ignore, I wouldn't ignore them. Okay. Okay, so there are just certain, I, let me get this straight, Paul, under this STAA, there are just certain um, aspects that, that you're protected under, right? I mean, the thing yes. that you had just said. A, uh, com a complaint filed okay. with a supervisor of the government related to violations of DOT regulations. So as long as you reasonably believe there's a violation or going to be a violation, mm -hmm. then you're protected on your complaint. Complaint could be oral, written, Qualcomm, okay? Mm -hmm. Two, a, a refusal to drive in violation of a DOT regulation is protected. In order to be protected, though, or in order to win your case, you have to show that if you had driven, you would have actually violated a DOT regulation. For example, if you're on your 34-hour, if you want a 34-hour restart, and they dispatch you in it, Refusing to drive because it interrupts your 34-hour restart is not necessarily protected because who knows, maybe you're going to pick up, you're still going to be like we were under the old system. You're going to pick up hours at midnight. Right. You, know, you don't know what, what the dispatch required you to do. So you have to prove, 
under that refusal to drive in violation, you have to prove that if you had driven, you would have actually violated a DOT regulation. Final section, protected work refusal, driving refusal, is uh, refusing to drive based upon a reasonable apprehension of serious injury. We know there are situations where you could refuse to drive in violation of a DOT regulation, but it might not be unsafe. For example, you know, going, you know, going 15, hour, 15 minutes over your 11 hours of driving doesn't may not necessarily render driving unsafe. Or driving, or driving with a marker light, one marker light, one of the required marker lights, you're protected if you refuse to drive with a, uh, because a, a, one of the required marker lights does, on a trailer doesn't illuminate. But that doesn't make it unsafe, but you're still legally protected. So, um, you know, if you're going to refuse to drive in violation of a regulation, you better be right on the regulation. Don't guess. You know, for example, you have to be able to show you were right. If, if you got a tire issue, well, I'm not going to drive because it's almost at 430 seconds on my steers. All right? Well, almost doesn't cut it. You've got to show that it actually was below the legal thread depth if you're doing it, on a, say, on a tire issue. So you better be right. There are a lot of drivers, and one of the things I do, I reread the FMCSA regulations often because sometimes you think something's in there that's really not. There are a lot of people, a lot of drivers who think it is against the law to work after you're 14. Well, that's simply not true. It's against the law to drive after the 14th hour after going on duty. So you can be working the dock, you can be completing trip paperwork, things of that nature. So we, there, there is still a lot of misunderstanding. We have great misunderstanding of what, what is off-duty and on-duty time. You know, there's great misunderstanding. And I've got to admit, the regulations aren't super clear on what's off-duty and what's on-duty. So um, anyway, uh, go ahead. That just reiterates that um, uh, why I see it as so important to have legal representation of something like this, because not only do you have to really have a great understanding of the regulations, um, you have to really have a great, uh, um, oh, what word am I looking for, um, interpretation of the regulations, because I wouldn't want to go up against any defense attorneys, you know, on my own myself, because the interpretation can come into play, I would think, uh, a lot often in these cases, too. Well, it, it can. There are a lot of defense attorneys who don't understand the regulation, and drivers are sometimes led into traps. On cross-examination, there are people who think, I've seen lawyers say, well, okay, so you have to rest for 10 hours. You have to sleep for 10 hours, huh? And drivers will say, yeah. Well, neither one understood the regs. You know, you don't have to sleep for 10 hours. You have to be off duty for 10 consecutive hours. I mean, right. Sure, but uh, you know, there are good resources out there, though, on uh, you know, for for good clarity on the regulations. FMCSA's website, in my opinion, is very user friendly. Unlike some other government websites, they've got the interpretations there that. Uh, they call them regulatory guidances and a question and answer form that is very good. Uh, you know, my phone number is on my website. You know, I answer it. You know, nine ten at night. You know, so if drivers have a problem where, 
you know, and it's not, it's just a matter of giving good, quick advice. What do I do? I'm being asked to do something that I think is illegal. People can usually reach me in the evening. Um, there is a website called Ask the Law. I believe it's askthelaw.org, which is, uh, has questions answered by commercial. If you send in a question by email, they answer. There are some commercial uh, DOT officers, some uh, reti a retired one and a couple other DOT officers who will answer questions. They won't interpret the regulation, but they'll tell you what it means. So there are good resources out there in this day and age of the Internet. There's no reason for our drivers not to be well informed on on what the regulations require. Right. Well, we're going to have well, kind of running out of time here. We're going to have to uh, to wrap it up. But tell us again. Uh, uh, I don't I don't want to get it wrong again. Uh, your your website. I, I guess would, would that be the best way for people to contact sure. you through your website? Sure. Sure. Truckersjustice.com. And uh, if if you Google Trucking attorney, if you forget my name, if you remember, if you put my name in Paul O, is my middle initial, Paul O. Taylor, trucking attorney, you'll probably find me. You'll find my phone number, or um, so you can work it through Google, but it's trucking, excuse me, no, I'm doing it, truckersjustice.com. And we are a private law firm. There's four of us here, and that's 90% of what we do is uh, trucking-related employment law for drivers. Can I just ask a quick question, Alan? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Paul, with CSA 2010, don't you think a lot of these uh, violations are going to uh, be reduced uh, now that it is going to be uh, on record? More so than ever before? Uh, I, I, th I think some. I think some drivers, you know, it's never pleasant to go through a lawsuit. It's never pleasant to get fired. So a lot of people will knuckle under to the what you call bullying, or what somebody does right, I think, called it bullying. I think it will reduce things some, uh, you know, at least in some some respects, because drivers are going to want to protect their CDL because they're going to have a record, not a rating, but a safety record that will follow them around for a few years. So I think it would be important that they continue to refuse to drive in violation of DOT regulations. I think it will reduce, I think it will increase the, would decrease the number of DOT violations, but it, it, frankly, it might increase the number of uh, wrongful firing because I think drivers are going to be a little more assertive. They have to be; it's their livelihood. Right. Right. Well, we'll find out. But you know, um, well, thanks for being here, Paul. We're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to do this a little bit more often because, uh, I mean, there's so many, so much information we can get out there to drivers. That's what we're trying to do here. And since you deal with the DAC and commercial truck lease and drug alcohol testing. Um, those can be some good shows to uh, answer a lot of questions these drivers have. So we're going to have to have you back on here. Sounds good. All right. Very good. I'd be happy to come back on. Thank okay. you so much. Thanks for being here, and uh, have a great evening. We'll be in touch. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks. Um, hey, Donna? Yes. Yeah, you beat me to that CSA 2010 question. <laughs> I was, I was thinking about that my, myself and uh, was uh, had it written down here and everything, but uh, we still got a little bit of time here. Did you have any um, uh, announcements that you wanted to make? Um, well, I was just, of course, I always like to uh, tell people that they can listen to uh, their show, the show that we do right from their um, iPhone trucker app. We just click on the link and 
and it's it's automatically on the most recent show, either the replay if if we're not on the air, or if we're on, they'll just hear the show automatically. So that's a nice feature on the app, um, and they could just download that, you know, from the icon on their on their phone. Um, and I know you wanted to um, talk about uh, Barry Allen and, and David Ayers and their new uh, trucking CD. Uh, which we're really excited about. Um, we got to hear the, uh, the master copy of the songs on the CD. Um, most of the people here know the song that was created uh, April of 2008 for that, um, when there was the big uh, convoy in Washington over the fuel prices. And yeah. uh, I know um, Dan Little of OOU had, uh, had these guys... Uh, uh, motivated to write that song, and it's become so popular. Uh, and now there's finally going to be, be a CD for that song. I think you're playing it actually at the end of the show tonight, aren't you, Alan? Yeah, I'll play it, and it's it's by uh, it's going to be released by Allen and Ayers Productions. And uh, uh, you go to that home page, Allen. Uh, just type in Allen. Just Google Allen and Ayers Productions, and Ayers is spelled A Y E R S. And Allen is spelled just like mine, A L L E N. Allen and Ayers Productions. Just Google that, and they can find it. But uh, uh, yeah, when the big rigs don't roll, that's kind of the song that, that got the whole thing rolling. Yeah, and now they um, they've created, and it's ready to be released. Um, I believe uh, Barry said the first week in August. So it's it's really ready to to get out there. And um, the one of the songs. A popular songs is about the Jason's Law, and it was dedicated to uh, Jason Rivenberg, and it's called Say a Prayer for Jason. And uh, I'll tell you, an incredible song. Uh, Alan did play that last week on last week's show, and you can listen to it right on their website, on their homepage. They have it. So we're we're really excited about uh, about the release of the CD. Um, Looking forward to it, and uh, again, Alan will be playing that so when the big rigs don't roll, which everybody's pretty much familiar with now, uh, but we, we just love to play it. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, um, okay. Well, good enough. I enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll have to have Mr. Taylor back on because, uh, uh, you know, just a, a random drug testing. I mean, so so many questions that drivers have, and uh we can just get the direct answers from Mr. Taylor because he's the he's the expert in all this. So we're going to uh, try to book some more shows with him and have that go on. So, um, okay, well, thanks for joining us this this uh, evening on Blog Talk Radio, and thanks to all our listeners. And had a lot of listeners on the phone lines. Uh, uh, they, they were just listening in, I guess, tuning in to what we had to say. Uh, but thanks to those and those in the chat room and our international listeners, our callers. Uh, Truth About Trucking Live is your show, and we appreciate you tuning in. And if you feel you have been discriminated against or experienced any kind of retaliation by your motor carrier for simply adhering to the uh, Federal Motor Carrier and Safety Regulations, uh, contact uh, Paul Taylor of the Truckers Justice Center and let their team of expert trucking employment law attorneys work for you. Uh, truck drivers have rights under the law, but in order to receive those rights, you must first exercise those rights. And again, his website is truckersjustice.com. 
And uh, come be a part of our trucking blog at askthetrucker.com. And CDL students and new drivers, sign up for our free newsletter at truthabouttrucking.com. And you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash askthetrucker. And on Facebook, just Google Truth About Trucking on Facebook and you'll find us. And you can check our show schedule at blogtalkradio.com slash truthabouttrucking. And be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites. And we will continue our fight to raise the standards of the trucking industry. So from the upcoming soon-to-be-released trucking CD by Allen and Ayers Production, here's the song that started it all when the big rigs don't roll. And, and hey, have you gotten your tree frog pad yet? You'll want one. Check it out at treefrogpad.com. So until next time, for Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and thanks for listening. It ain't right, man, it sucks When the big old companies make a billion bucks On the backs of the working man Driving trucks and cars It takes 1,200 bucks to fill this rig While I'm stuffing the pockets of some big wig He don't care if I've maxed out my credit card The only trick I get for my truck Is the jack and the price when I fill it up like pumping my money down an endless hole But what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll Oh I don't need a college degree to figure out that they're ripping off me They get a big tax break and all I get's the shaft Insurance goes up if my credit is down If I sink any lower I'm gonna drown And I ain't getting no help from a bureaucrat, no The only trick I get for my truck is a jack in the price when I fill it up like pumping my money down an endless hole But what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll If mama hadn't taught me the golden rule I'd tell those big wigs what to do With the nozzle on the pump where I get my gas I'm a good boy and I won't do that Oh, the only trick I get for my truck Is a jack in the price when I fill it up It's like pumping my money down an endless hole But what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll. What they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll.
that's the song that started it all with this uh, CD that is soon to be released by Allen and Ayers Productions. CD going to be called by the same name, When the Big Rigs Don't Roll, and you heard Donna say that the uh, CD will be uh, scheduled to be released the first uh, week of August. So um, it's already doing uh, pretty good on the uh, off of their website at uh, Allen Ayers Productions. Dot com, I believe it is, and uh, already getting orders, uh, international, international orders for the CD. So uh, things that came out, just they just did a great job, and uh, it's been it's been like since the uh, 70s since there's been uh, really any new um, trucking songs put out there. So we're kind of excited about that and real happy for them. They they've worked really hard on this CD, so it'll be coming out. And uh, again, remember that this uh, CD. Um, largely in part was um, inspired by uh, Jason's Law and um, Hope Rivenberg and Congressman Paul Tonko of New York. We all know have been working hard to uh, to get HR, uh, to uh, Bill H.R. 2156 passed into law. And uh, just a lot of things came together uh, to, to get this CD out there. And uh, we were glad to be a part of it in a in a small way. And I just want to say, Alan, um, you know, we we spoke with David and Barry, and um, they're going to have their their CD release party, and we're going to have it live uh, on Blog Talk Radio. Um, not we haven't worked out the details oh. on that yet. We are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well, it's glad, I'm glad somebody told me that. Well. No, I, I when you came home the other night, I, I I was talking to you about it, but I don't think I labeled it a, a CD release party. So I. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be cool. And uh, anyway, uh, so we're pretty excited about that, and I just want to say that um, the gentleman, the artist singing, uh, John Johnson, uh, what a tremendous amount of passion he he really has. Uh, in this uh, CD, I mean, we got the master copy here, and every song, you know, you can just feel feel the passion in his voice, and it, it's just, I'll tell you what, it's one of the best CDs I've heard. I can't wait until it gets out there, and uh, I know it's going to do really well because it touches on uh, so many of the issues within trucking today, and uh, it's, it's really a great CD. And I'm also going to say one of Alan's songs that he wrote is on there. Yeah, you always have to throw that in. I know I do, because you never will. Uh, the trucking brand um, is on there, and it, uh, it's just one of the 10 or 11 songs on the CD that's just tremendous. So, uh, Well, it's getting a good response, and we have uh, T-Bolts in the chat room, and he's just... Uh, he just put in the chat room, I called on the 28th for Jason's Law and had about 30 more people call. So that's that's what it was Thank all you. about. That's what we want to do. So we appreciate that because it takes getting involved. We don't exactly know where it's going to go, but uh, uh, those out there are definitely going to know that there is a lot of backing, a lot of people backing this thing. So uh, it was the inspiration of this CD. Uh, so I hope everybody will get the CD and um, I tell you what, we've got a few more minutes, so let's just play that lead song. Donnie, you want to do that? Sure, sounds great to me. Okay, in case you haven't heard it, um, here it is on Truth About Trucking Live. Uh, say a prayer for Jason. Jason drove that truck. 
Reaching for that blue-collar dream Hard-working man Making a living Driving that big machine He loved his son Joshua And hope his wife But for seven dollars He lost his life With nowhere to rest In between his loads He was shot to death On the side of the road Say a prayer For Jason Say a prayer For Joshua and Hope Say a prayer For all the truck drivers Stuck out on the road Say a prayer, say a prayer, say a prayer. They say accidents are rough because of driver fatigue. But states keep closing their stops when they know that's what we need. Find a place so you're stuck for the night So you park on the road and you risk your life I don't know about you, but it makes no sense to me If they'd pass Jason's law, you'd have a place to sleep Say a prayer for Jason Say a prayer for Joshua and Hope Say a prayer for all the truck drivers stuck out on the road. Just say a prayer, say a prayer, say a prayer. Life's about doing what is right and doing right. Has no price. Pray they'll pass Jason's law in his name, and he didn't die in vain. No, he didn't die in vain. Say a prayer, Jason. Say a prayer for Joshua. Thanks for uh, 
your dedication always here. We appreciate you and Trucker Desiree, of course. Um, and visit her website at realwomenintrucking.com. Just thanks to everybody. We appreciate you being here. And uh, we will see you next time on Truth About Trucking Live right here on Blog Talk Radio. Good night, everybody.